Thank you, Hannah. If you would take your Bibles now and turn to the book of Mark. We're going to do a Star Wars thing. Um, If you're familiar with the Star Wars movies, you know that we watched the Star Wars series. And then it's like they started over. They were called prequels. And we had to go back and see what happened leading up to the stories we started with. And we're kind of doing that with Mark. Back in in Easter season, early April, late March, we jumped ahead in our study of Mark to chapters 14 through 16. I'm sure you caught that. And uh, we looked at the Last Supper. We looked at the betrayal of Jesus, the trial, the, the suffering, Peter's denial. Uh, we looked at Jesus' death on the cross and then eventually the resurrection. So we actually covered the last three chapters of Mark. Today we're going to uh, be in chapter 11, and we are going to see what led up to those events, uh, because we are going to enter that last week on Thursday Jesus had that last supper with his disciples and all the teaching and the sharing that went on. And then it led into all the other dramatic things and eventually Friday, uh, the death. And then Sunday, the resurrection. We're going to look at Sunday, Monday, Tuesday before that as that week began. And Mark starts to record that for us in chapter 11. So uh, hopefully that was enough time to get there. Mark chapter 11, verse 1, just notice how it starts. It says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Now, if you have a a map in the back of your Bible, uh, you don't have to turn there now, but do it sometime. I hope you use those maps when you're studying instead of just skipping over the names of towns and places. But you'll find Jerusalem there, and you'll find uh, Bethany and perhaps Bethphage. Uh, You'll find that Bethany was a small town about two miles southeast of Jerusalem, so quite close to Jerusalem. And then Bethphage was a small town in between the two between Bethany and Jerusalem, so even closer to Jerusalem. And so those are the towns that are mentioned here by Mark. It says, and they approached Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the site of Passover week, which is beginning here in chapter 11. Passover week took place every year at the same time. It always took place in Jerusalem, and Jewish people from all over, near and far, would make the journey to Jerusalem. The population of Jerusalem for that week 
swelled greatly as all these Jews gathered to observe and celebrate Passover, which basically was the celebration of back when God through Moses delivered the people from Egypt and slavery. And so the week of Passover, they gathered and they celebrated that deliverance. The first day of the week, Sunday, was called Lamb Selection Day. People, some, brought their own lambs, the best from their flocks, that they would eventually, uh, toward the end of the week, sacrifice to God. Uh, others who came really a long ways would come on Sunday, that first day, and they would select their lambs. There were lambs for sale in Jerusalem, and they would select their lambs to be sacrificed later in the week. And, of course, they'd have to find places to stay, and they'd spend days uh, having reunions with friends and, and enjoying themselves as it led up to the end of the week when they would have these uh, gatherings and, and share the Passover meal with one another. And then eventually, on Friday, the sacrifices would take place. Sacrifices to God, thanking Him for deliverance. Well, in chapter 11, we have Jesus entering Jerusalem on that Passover week. Jerusalem was also the site of the temple. The Jews only had one temple, which made Jerusalem very important. That's where the temple was located, the presence of God, as far as they were concerned. And you know, as far as Jesus was concerned, it was his father's house. The temple was important to Jesus as well, and it was there in Jerusalem. So he comes to Jerusalem, the site of Passover week, the site of his father's house. But it's also the site of the opposition's headquarters. Because it's in Jerusalem where all the Pharisees, high priests, scribes, teachers of the law were located. And as we've been going through the book of Mark, we've seen a number of them making the trip up to Galilee to challenge Jesus and to, to check on him. But now he's coming to their turf, opposition headquarters. Also, it was the headquarters of the Romans. The Roman governor, Pilate, was there. There were a lot of Roman soldiers in Jerusalem. But Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. Jerusalem was also the site of the fulfillment of Jesus' mission. It's where the reason he came would take place. And toward the end of this particular Passover week, Jesus would give his life as the Lamb of God, sacrificed for the sins of the people and you and I. And then, of course, he would rise again. So when it says 
in verse 1, as they approach Jerusalem, that's a pretty important statement. This is it. Jesus will not leave Jerusalem until after the resurrection now. This is it. It all culminates on this week. So, what I want to do is I want us to kind of quickly this morning go through the narrative that Mark gives. There aren't going to be any instructions to us. There aren't going to be any teachings from Jesus for us. This is narrative. Mark is going to tell us how this week began. And so we're going to look at a parade that took place on Sunday. We're going to look at the passion of Jesus that was shown on Monday. And then we're going to look at a parable that Jesus told, a story, on Tuesday, the first three days of this final week. So let's start with the parade. Chapter 11, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and while others spread branches, they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. We're going to notice, by the way, that during this week, Jesus does not stay overnight in Jerusalem. We're going to see that At the end of every day during this week, he goes back out to Bethany. He chooses not to remain in Jerusalem in the evenings. So here we have a parade. We call it the triumphal entry. We we talk about it a lot on Palm Sunday. It's what began this week. Jesus comes into Jerusalem and it ends up being a parade. Really. Jesus riding in on this colt. And people walking before him and walking after him and probably on both sides and they're shouting and they're praising the Lord and they're shouting their hosannas and they're calling him really king. Here comes the king into Jerusalem. And they're waving their branches and they're laying cloaks and branches along the way. It must have been an exciting time. And a question or two would be, why such a grand entrance? Why would Jesus want to enter Jerusalem on this uh, day in such a grand way, in such a noticeable way? And why would he choose to ride in 
on a colt. We don't have anything recorded for us prior to this during his life or ministry where he's riding on a colt or a horse or anything like that. So why would he choose on this day to ride in on a colt so publicly in the midst of all the confusion? Is it because he wanted the attention? Is it because he wanted to make a statement to the opposition? Here I am. I'm coming. Is it because he was weary from all the walking he'd been doing the last three years? They had just traveled from Galilee. Is that why he chose to ride on a colt? Let me suggest to you what might be the reason for this grand entrance and Jesus riding on a colt. Here it is. Jesus knew prophecy. Do you think that could have been it? Jesus knew prophecy. You see, in the Old Testament, when there were prophecies about the Messiah, it sounded a lot like what this turned out to be. Uh, One would be Zechariah toward the end of the Old Testament, chapter 9. Zechariah 9, verse 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Did Jesus know that prophecy? Did Jesus know he was the Messiah it was referring to? Of course he did. So in a sense, what Jesus is doing here by allowing this grand entrance by choosing to ride on a colt, was basically saying, I am the Messiah. He was following prophecy. What do you think he was thinking? I mean, as this parade is going on, as people are shouting, as he's riding into the city, as it's getting the attention of all these people who've come to Jerusalem, what would he be thinking? Well, I'm sure in some way he's enjoying the experience, watching all these excited people. But I've got to believe that he was also thinking about what was to come later in the week. Because he knew that as well, didn't he? He knew what this was leading to. It's very possible that as... All the excitement is going on around him as he rides in. He's thinking of some very serious things that are going to be happening. Being betrayed. His last meal with these special men. The arrest. The suffering that he knows he's going to have to experience. The cross. Because he's able to look out on that and know that's coming. They don't. 
They're having a great time with this parade. What might the religious leaders in Jerusalem be thinking as they hear about and maybe eventually observe what's going on here, this parade? What might they be thinking? Here comes the troublemaker. How dare he interrupt our celebration? I mean, the religious leaders have been planning this for a long time, right? There had been a lot of work, as every year, gone into preparing Jerusalem for the Passover week. Now, the Pharisees and scribes and those guys probably hadn't done much of the work, if any, but they had all their temple workers and everybody else under them getting ready. This was a big week for them. Everything was in place. This was a sacred time, but it was also a money-making time. They also knew that Passover week caused the Romans there in Jerusalem to step up their presence. Because when you get that many Jewish people coming from all over Jerusalem, the Romans, of course, were thinking, we can't let this get out of control. We can't let those Jews riot. And so the military presence would have been greater. And, of course, the Pharisees and scribes and the other religious leaders, they don't want to rock the boat with the Romans. So they hear and see what's happening with this parade around Jesus entering, and they must be thinking, oh, no. What are the Romans going to do about this commotion? Does it sound like a riot to them? And so you've got to believe that the religious leaders are not enjoying this parade. This is an infringement on their big week. This could be trouble. It's interesting, in verse 11, it says, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, and since it was late, he went out to Bethany. So this big parade, Jesus comes into Jerusalem. He takes time to just walk around the temple area, take a look at everything, and then he and the disciples go out to Bethany to spend the night, maybe with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, his friends who lived there. But he just looked around. Next comes Monday. Verse 12 says the next day. They go back into Jerusalem. Verse 15. It says, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him 
because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Here we have on the next day, Monday, Jesus coming back into Jerusalem, going to the temple. Remember, he stopped at the temple and looked around. And here we get a clue as to what he may have seen the night before. And it's almost like he's coming back the next day and he has a plan. And what's going to happen here is that Jesus shows his passion. I mean, Jesus really gets emotional here. Jesus really is passionate. And he comes in and he physically shows his passion. He goes to the temple and he drives out those who are buying and selling. You see, what had happened is on this special week, People were allowed to, it was like a circus at the temple. It was like a huge bazaar at the temple. It was like the state fair at the temple. People buying and selling. They were buying and selling uh, perhaps lambs, uh, turtle doves for people who couldn't afford a, a lamb to sacrifice later in the week. But they were probably also selling other things, Passover souvenirs, you know, coffee mugs and everything. It was just a circus atmosphere at the temple. And Jesus comes in and he chases these people out. And he overturns tables. There's money changers, people set up because Jews are coming from all different countries for the week. And they have to change their money, right? And so he overturns those tables and those benches and he chases people out and he stops people from coming through there with their bags of merchandise. Clears it out. Why? Why is he making such a scene? Why all the passion? I mean, there's anger here, obviously. I mean, how, how can we not say there's anger? We use the term righteous indignation, right? I mean, this was righteous anger. It's Jesus, after all. But he's angry. That's clear. There's a lot of zeal here. I mean, he's really serious. He's intense. There's a lot of zeal. It's interesting. In Psalm 69.9, another prophecy says, Zeal for your house consumes me. The insults of those who insult you Fall on me. Does that give us insight into what's going on on that day, that Tuesday, the Passover week? Jesus had zeal for the temple. It's his father's house. And he apparently saw what they were doing as an insult to God. What they were doing outside the temple, in the temple area. And the prophecy says to God, what insults you insults me. And so Jesus shows his passion and clears everything else out. And, and, and really there's boldness here because Jesus knows that this is going to stir things up. 
You think the parade stirred up the religious leaders? This certainly is going to stir up the religious leaders. And Jesus explains why he does this. He uses another Old Testament quote. He says, it's written, my house will be called a house of prayer. That's My father's house is a house of prayer. It's not a den of thieves. It's not a den of robbers. It's a house of prayer. And I think it was an insult to God and to Jesus as to what they had turned this house of prayer into. And so there's anger, there's zeal, there's boldness, knowing the trouble this is going to cause. But he shows the passion. What's the response? It's what you would expect. Verse 18, the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this, and they began looking for a way to kill him. They're not just upset. They want to get rid of this guy. For what he's doing, but also for fear of him, because they can see how the people are just responding to Jesus with this parade into the city and now here. And so now they want to kill him. Jesus has done what we would expect. He has stirred up the passion, talk about passion, of the opposition. They want to kill him. And then, of course, Jesus does the wise thing. Verse 19, when evening came, they went out of the city. They spent the night back at Bethany, not in the city. Now we come to Tuesday. Jesus comes back into Jerusalem. Starting in verse 27, chapter 11. They arrived again in Jerusalem. And while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, so he goes right back to the temple. It says the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you authority to do this? What are they referring to? What's the this? It's the mess that they're cleaning up as Jesus comes back to the temple. Can you picture what's going on that morning? Jesus comes back into the city. He comes to the temple courts. And there's all kinds of temple workers cleaning up the mess Jesus had created, right? I mean, this is Passover week. We can't have this mess. And so they're busy cleaning. Jesus comes back to the temple, and the religious leaders meet him there, and they challenge him. What gives you the right to do what you did yesterday? By what authority did you do that? Where do you get off, Jesus, wrecking everything here in the temple court? Jesus replied, verse 29, I will ask you one question. 
I got a question for you. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. Here's the question he asks them. He brings up John, the baptizer. John's baptism, was it from heaven? Was it from God, John's ministry? Or from men? Was John's ministry a fake? Tell me. So there's the question. Answer this question. I'll tell you by what authority I messed up your temple. And it says, the leaders discussed it among themselves. And they said, if, if we say from heaven that John's ministry was from God, Jesus will ask, well, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say John's ministry was from men, it was a fake, it was false. They feared the people because everyone held John very highly. They thought he was a prophet. So they're thinking, he's got us here. We, we, no matter how we answer, we're in trouble. And so they choose, I guess, the safest response Verse 33, so they answered Jesus, we don't know. We don't know. They refused to answer. So Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. I won't answer your question if you don't answer mine. But he moves right into telling them a story, a parable. So we've had the parade on Sunday. We've had the passion of Jesus shown on Monday. And now he's going to tell them a story, a parable. He's going to tell it to these religious leaders who want to kill him. Who have been embarrassed. I mean, don't you think that this question of Jesus and them not being able to answer it was embarrassing to them? So here's the story. Chapter 12, verse 1. Jesus says, a man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others, some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son, whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him, the son, and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Then Jesus asked this question. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And he concludes this way, which is really a jab 
to Jewish religious leaders. He says, haven't you read this scripture? I mean, these guys have studied and taught the Old Testament scriptures all their life. So this is almost a jab. Haven't you read the scriptures? And he quotes from Psalm 118. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. I bet you get the story, right? If you follow it, you get it. Can you figure out what he was saying? The Pharisees and scribes, the leaders, got it. They knew that they were in the story. Who were they in the story? The tenants. The ones that were to take care of the vineyard. The ones who beat and killed and rejected. All these that were sent. All the servants of the owner. They were the ones to kill the son. They got it. And so verse 12, then they looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. They had been trying to figure out how to kill Jesus. And Jesus tells a story where they're the villains who kill the son. That's quite a three-day period, isn't it? What a way to start the week. Sunday, Lamb Selection Day. The lamb comes into Jerusalem, right? Jesus, riding on a colt, declared the king by the people. A grand entrance, a parade, just like was prophesied. Stirring up the religious leaders. Monday, Jesus comes back into town And he shows passion and clears out the temple courts. That stirred up the religious leaders. Tuesday, Jesus comes back into town confronted by the religious leaders, tells them a story, a parable that clearly presents them as villains who will be judged. That's how Passover week began. And we haven't even gotten to Friday. Of all the suffering through the night on Thursday, through the cross on Friday and the death of Christ. We haven't gotten there. 
But this is how the week began. What can we learn about Jesus from these three narratives? Again, there are no instructions. I didn't read any instructions that the text gives. There are no teachings from Jesus that we should pay attention to and follow. This is just Mark describing for us how that week started, giving us the narratives of the parade, the passion of Jesus, and the parable he told the leaders. So I guess the question is, what can we learn about Jesus? After all, that's Mark's purpose, right? Mark's purpose is to present Jesus to the readers. So what can we learn about Jesus from these three narratives? Well, we obviously can learn that he knew the Old Testament. (laughs) He knew the prophecies, and it seems like he makes sure the prophecies are being fulfilled because he knows he's the one they were about. We, we learned that Jesus had a lot of passion, that Jesus showed anger, that he had zeal. We learned that he was very bold, which shouldn't be new to us, but he was very bold. He was willing to do and say what was important, even if he was aware of the response by his opposition. He was very bold. I want to conclude with just mentioning something else we learn about Jesus from these three narratives. We know that Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God, right? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, On Friday of Passover week, he is going to be the sacrificed lamb for the sins of sinners to provide deliverance from sin. We know that. The Lamb of God. We also, though, are aware that Jesus is the Lion of Judah. Right? He's the Lion of Judah. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Lion of Judah. I think we see the Lion of Judah these first three days. The King of Kings. The Lord of Lords. The Lion of Judah. At the end of the week, we'll see the Lamb of God, right? On the cross, sacrificial Lamb. But these first three days, we see the Lion of Judah. The Passion the zeal, seriousness, the boldness, the willingness to do whatever it takes, the willingness to confront. I just read a book this week called Domesticating Jesus. And the author talks about the danger that many Christians have entered into. Knowing Jesus is the Lamb of God, knowing He's the Lion of Judah, many Christians today have chosen to just focus on one. That's all they're concerned about. That's the most important thing. Jesus, the Lamb of God. The meek, 
the mild, the merciful, the gracious, the compassionate, Jesus. And the author says many Christians have gone so far on that they've tamed, they've domesticated Jesus. And they will agree he's no ordinary man. But then they treat him and relate to him as an ordinary man. At the expense of him being the lion of Judah. Friends, he created this world. Friends, he holds everything in place. He sustains the universe. Mark has shown us he has power over the laws of nature. He has power over the demonic world. He has power over disease. He has power over death. He is the lion. But we're not as comfortable with that. So we'd rather focus on the lamb. Now, we don't sacrifice the lamb part, right? Because that's really important. But we can't neglect the lion part. He's both. In the last week, the last few weeks, how often did you relate to Jesus as the lion of Judah, the king of kings, the Lord of lords? Versus how often did you relate to him as the Lamb of God? The kind, mild, meek, merciful, gracious Jesus. Are you balanced? I think we need to consider that. Uh, My wife is one few other people have commented to me in these weeks that we've been going through Mark. And the comment has been that Mark is presenting a Jesus that is different than we're used to. Mark is presenting a Jesus with all this power and authority, this boldness, this... um, Mark is really presenting him as the lion, the king of kings, lord of lords, who is willing to come and serve. And give his life a ransom for many. But Mark is really presenting Jesus as the lion, the king of kings, in his power and authority. Why? Because we are suggesting that his primary audience are the Romans. So that's my challenge for you this week. Think about these three narratives. And... Really honestly think about how you are relating to Jesus. Lamb of God, Lion of Judah. Make sure there's a balance. Because I think many of us, just like many Christians all around, have kind of set aside the Lion of Judah part, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, because they really are more comfortable with the Lamb of God. We can't sacrifice one for the other. He's the Lamb of God. 
And he was on Thursday and Friday of Passover week, the Lamb of God. But on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and the next Sunday, he was the Lion of Judah, power, authority, King of kings, Lord of lords. May he be both in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these narratives. Thank you for what we've learned today about the beginning of that so important week. Father, we know what it ends up being at the end of the week, and we are so thankful for the death of Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, our Savior. We're so glad for the resurrection, the power over death, the hope, the eternal life. Well, Father, we're also thankful that Jesus showed himself at the beginning of the week as the Lion of Judah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the bold, the zealous Jesus. May we relate to him as the Lamb and as the Lion in our relationship with him. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.